supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Hello, hello, hello. Good oh. introduction as always to indeed. Film Fight Club. Uh, good Lord, indeed. Show us the way. Where did that come from, Farad? I never thought of you as a man of, of God. I don't know. I'm just thinking about uh, the house that Jack built. Yes, that is indeed a, is, a film yeah. about the word of God. Is it though? I'm I'm not quite sure, but yeah, hopefully not. Um, yeah, it is about something, a lot of things, and but nothing in particular. Let's hope that we can shed more light in a moment. This is Chris Evans. I'm joined by Varatne Rue. We've kicked Chanel Tarabe out of the club. No, it that's actually a mutual not true. She's actually out. very busy doing yeah. important stuff while we sit yeah. here crapping on about film. Thanks well, for joining she's, us. She's on a this. PhD in person, right? So she's yeah, actually no, she, important. She's, yeah, she's actually life. doing work on aggression. So yay, Chanel. <laughs> so this week we'll be talking about the house that Jack built and everybody knows two divisive films from World Cinema Auteurs, and we'll also have Virat Nehru on Captain Marvel and Hotel Mumbai, two films yeah. that I haven't gotten around to seeing, but I know that Virat has some strong opinions about. Yeah, strong opinions. More on Hotel Mumbai, less on Captain Marvel, but still, yeah, strong opinions nonetheless. Strong, strong opinions, I think, are going to be needed tonight because I'm not feeling much passion for any of what we're about to discuss it's so, okay. I, actually, I think this week I can make up for that for some weird reason. I don't know. It's just uh, maybe it's the films that I'm going to talk about, which kind of incited some very polarizing opinions in me. You know, uh, male opinions uh, come to the fore. Fair enough. So, um, if the house that Jack built is the latest horror provocation from Lars von Trier, if you would believe the media narrative about the film, <laughs> it's actually a pretty typical Lars von Trier effort i would say and not particularly shocking by his standards yeah it's about a serial killer speaking uh, played by matt dillon reprising his role as the fake architect <laughs> from uh, there's something about mary <laughs> who's also accused of being a serial killer yeah um, oh, actually yeah yeah didn't think about that he yeah, is recounting the story of five of his greatest murders which he describes as being works of art to a, for most of the film, unseen accomplice who is challenging him as he talks through his murders. What did we think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in one sense, uh, how do we engage with Lars von Trier in a sense where he he's kind of a despicable human being in his opinions and stuff and his art itself well, he's leaning into this persona of being a really despicable human being with this film especially like this is a film i would say about the idea of Lars von Trier as despicable human yeah. being if we think that um Lars von Trier is uh talking in metaphor about himself through this serial killer protagonist and the film Lends you to perhaps interpreting it that way because we see at some point where Matt Dillon's killer is talking about his murders um, and relating them to art, we see clips of Lars von Trier's own films. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this film received a lot of controversy because a lot of the murders that are depicted are incre incredibly violent towards women. Um, it's almost all the stories he tells are about murdering women. And a lot of people could relate that to the particularly savage treatment of female characters in Lars von Trier's films. But if this is how Lars von Trier sees himself, I think he's being quite hard on himself because I think in his best works, he isn't just mining human misery because he feeds on it. I think that he um, 
gets at some kind of humanistic um, empathy and suffering. That um, he does. Uh, the problem films like I... Breaking the Waves or, or yeah. Dancer in the Dark, right? But yeah. um, if this is how he sees himself, this is uh, a very bleak, depressing perspective. I, I I don't know. I I don't think uh, Lars von Trier gives himself that much credit, and I think part of this is now he's entering this kind of late Goddard period where he feels like he doesn't really, it's not beholden to anyone or anything, and he can make the kind of movies that he kind of always wanted to make, except that he's always been making the kind of movies he kind well, of wanted to make anyway. I, I like that this is so free aesthetically. Yeah. Um, in many ways, it's more of a video essay than it is a conventional narrative yeah. film. Um, a lot of parallels to the image book, actually. Yeah, yeah right? that's right. Very, a lot very... of talk about art in history, <laughs> um, which just <laughs> is conveyed through still images on a black background. Yeah. And voiceover, making and, and connections actually, between... It was funnier than I thought it would be. Actually, then it's, humor is something which I hadn't uh, counted upon. I, even though it's probably thematically weaker than a lot of his other films, I thought the humor is something which is unexpected. Because not just in a black humor kind of way, it's genuinely funny. I think um, there's an interesting balance that Lars von strikes here because... There is comedy in some of the situations that the killer finds himself in, and also in the way that um, Bruno Gans playing Verge, <laughs> <laughs> whose identity becomes clear over the course of the film, um, just pokes holes in his line of reasoning and shoots him down. But at the same time, I think taking that kind of cynical, detached a comedic approach to a serial killer could have resulted in a film that's overly glamorizing or making light of the murders. But what's uh, very clear here is that I don't think Von Trier sees any kind of, um, you know, fun or joy in the killings here. It's it's pretty much bleak. It's not fun to watch at all. Not at all. Uh, but at, at the same time, so, I kind of feel, uh, what is the point, uh, you know, beyond... Yeah, it's not a psychological study of uh, sociopaths or psychopaths in that sense. I think it is con- uh, exploring psychopathy. Like Matt, the way I think Matt Dillon gave a really good performance in the way that he brought about. Um, that he shows a uh, a kind of detached Machiavellian perspective. Like okay, a, he yeah. sort of has a dry humor in the way that he goes about normal human interactions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I think this film is pretty accurate to the way that psychopaths um, perceive the world. But Lars von Trier isn't really that interested in mining any of the normal plot beats that we see in psychopath films. It's entirely about just portraying five incidents of murder. Yeah. And it's very disconnected in that sense. It's actually quite anti-narrative. Uh, you know, it's trying not to tell you a cohesive story and just That's like true. you know it's actually uh, kind of making fun of the audience as well for expecting and kind of neatly tying together kind of narrative especially the yeah. ending uh, I mean the ending is without giving anything away probably the best or I think the it's most the best interesting part of the film, of the film I thought, yeah. yeah the interesting yeah. the part about the ending is that it's that Von Trier has maintained a detached perspective for so long but then at the end he spare, he does not spare us from moral judgment <laughs> yeah. um, and depicts that with a surprising amount of sincerity yeah, um, but maybe true despair is what Lars von Trier believes in most. I know, um, especially I think it, it's interesting the thing about especially how red. And I was just like harking back to Suspiria and that kind of. How it's re- good. Well, it's good to see Lars von Trier break out because for a long time his films have been just kind of like shaky cam and yeah. drab grey landscapes. 
Um, it was nice to see him stretch out aesthetically towards the end of this. On the subject of the aesthetic, his filmmaking in this is really fun and keeps the whole thing engaging where it could easily have become extremely dry. Yeah. Um, there's a mix, you know, different kinds of media coming in, animations, the aforementioned kind of um, clip art, uh, <laughs> art history tours, um, found footage, <laughs> clips from Lars von Trier's own films. The problem for me with these is that I don't think the points that the killer Matt Dillon Jack is making in his conversations with Virgil that uh, overlaid over these mixed media sequences are actually that interesting or intellectually engaging. It sounded like pretentious. Um, it yeah, it sounded pretentious yeah, because I mean, it, there's a lot of a lot of empty yeah. um, grasping towards intellectual concepts about what is the nature <laughs> of art. Is there? It's very... Is there um, art in destruction and death? Is there, you know, can you portray, you know, view those from a perspective of beauty or um, do moral, uh, does, you know, does morality have to be at the forefront of art? And von Trier is linking these things to things like the art that came out of the Nazi regime. But yeah. um, that is a... It's very philosophy 101. Yeah, I was going to say very, that's very something basic. that aesthetic philosophy delves into yeah. in, you know, really interesting ways there's a lot of room to be mined there but i didn't find that format worked as well here as it did in nymphomaniac nymphomaniac was also about a protagonist debating moral points but with, i think with nymphomaniac yeah. it worked better because it was actually a character study what actually kind of uh, works against this film is that we don't know anything about the character oh, like, do, there's, actually there's i i did actually think that the way that jack was portrayed was interesting just um as you said it is anti-narrative but I, I do think that von Trier gets to some of the realities of how psychopaths interact oh, with yeah. people and, and the way but that I this think guy... That's more the hubris, what, really, what this film is really about is hubris. Um, and I think, and the idea of artistic hubris overcoming everything to the point that people, that uh, artists lack empathy. Yeah. You know, th- to think that other people are beneath them because they can't see the grand ideas that are in their head. And von Trier is mocking that idea by by actually attaching being to that, somebody in a way. Well, he perhaps feels himself as that, but he's attaching that idea to a psychopath, a person who is destructive to society and offers nothing, but has still come yeah. to believe but in is, himself. Is, is that yeah? Is that also it's almost a, re, a return to our Vox Lux discussion yeah. about whether yeah. artists actually give anything to the world? But also, is that also because he sees himself like that? That despite the fact that he sees himself as a great artist, that he thinks because there is a lot of uh, self-referential kind of you mm. know aggrandizing moments in the film, where he thinks that you know, look at me, I'm such a great artist, and yet I have some kind of psychopathic tendencies that I can't really admonish myself from and that maybe people give him praise for creating depictions of human suffering but is he just getting off on it am i just a serial killer metaphorically or or just the fact that he likes the hate that he gets because i think that's part of the that's that's part of the character of jack in this film he thrives off the fame yeah david bowie's fame keeps repeating throughout the film and he's yeah that was so basic by the way it's just some of this film is so like kindergarten level basic that I've just like you don't need to hammer the point home and I think that's what really annoyed me because that's like the visually this film is more interesting than anything which like it, visually it is interesting um, the, the mix of some you know unexpected zooms the fast <laughs> choppy camera movement um, and the mixed media collages yeah. yeah it's most interesting to me formally I just 
I think Von Trier is grasping towards a lot of interesting ideas. I just think it would have they needed a lot more expanse if because as a video essay, it actually says way less than the image book, and it's tw- you know twice the length of that. Yeah, it it really as you say, it is philosophy one hundred and one, but philosophy one hundred and one takes you in greater depth even into that is true. Some of these most basic because ideas because a lot of, of themes philosophy. repeat as well, and all these conversations are quite repetitive. They come back to the same thing again and again and again, and I'm like, I get it. Like you know, you're just two dudes talking about stuff in the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome Sorry. to Film Fight Club. With <laughs> yeah, actually, wow. Look look at the very self awareness. You know, a, in keeping with yeah this. the the house the studio that we built, uh, which is yeah. TVR. I do like that it pokes holes in. A, you know, the audience that wants to see death and suffering on screen for the sake of it and that it does not glamorize the idea of a serial killer. Do, do you think the people that walked out kind of missed that point? I think so. I think I can understand being upset by it because some of the things depicted in this are extremely cruel. But yeah. I think it's clear that... Um, I, I think people want their art to be very simple and the message is handed to them on a plate. And in this... Von Trier listens to the serial killer and is able to empathize with him for a moment, even if the film is ultimately on the side of Virgil in denouncing yeah. Jack. And uh, that should be very clear to anyone who sticks around with the whole film. But I think people possibly lack the media literacy to be able to extend themselves to maybe try to put themselves in the serial killer's shoes. Or just that, that doesn't mean that you're in any way... Um, you know, yeah. approving complicit, of these actions, yeah. a complicit. It's it's almost like a thought experiment to try to understand where this person is coming from, and yeah. but the film I don't I think doesn't is not amoral by yeah. any means. Especially like uh, in today's times where I feel art has become a battleground for social justice. That's and, right. You know, it was a not the right time for this film to be released because but maybe maybe the perfect time. You know, where <laughs> I think things mm, have I, become yeah. so like it has to be morally upright. It has to be moral. It has art. to be pure. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that morality in art is important, but I, not to the extent that we can't allow something like this into the world. Yeah. Because, because I think he's, he's grasping, this is in service of ideas. Yeah. This isn't just a glamorization of serial killer or wallowing in senseless violence or yeah. a misogyny for the sake of misogyny. I know. But I think I, towards I feel... the end, I think it becomes clear that this is an unreliable narrator and this is a story yeah. about the way that a lot of misogynist men perceive the world and yeah. perceive women. Well, a lot of people might say that, you know, films that are in service of ideas is exactly the kind of defense that people who, you know, like amoral things would give because, oh, it's just because it's service of ideas it needs to exist, which we is could, kind of the very kind of PLC and like conservative of... political sort of ideas that seem to play off this and how the world sees itself, which is interesting. Yeah. We could get into some deeper ideas here than the house that Jack built ever finds the time to Actually, explore. Actually, that is true, yeah. But so, it's still two and a half hours long. It is way too It's long. way too long. Yeah. Um, but I still, I found just the craft to be engaging enough. Um, if anything, it's not extreme enough in some of the imagery and and not rich enough in some of the ideas. So, so yeah, it's playing in limited release across that's right. cinemas. Uh, and yeah, go watch it or not, actually. We can't... Well, actually, Riley Keough hilariously said that on her some social media account. She was like, go watch this or don't, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> how do we recommend this? I mean... It's all right. It if you're really... interested in Lars von Trier films, yeah. I think this is actually 
it's not one of the weaker ones in his career. So, yeah. um, pretty uh, typical Lars von Trier yeah, film. I'll basically give a shout out to one of my friends who did a PhD on Lars von Trier films. So he might be interested to see it. So if he already hasn't, so yeah, I'm sure he would have. By so now. one person go see and watch it, and everyone else, you know, on the fence. <laughs> so for the film that many, many more people have probably already seen, or definitely have already seen, than will ever watch the house that Jack built that Veratne Rue saw, but I didn't as part of my ongoing protest against, against Marvel Studios. Marvel. Well, uh, yeah, it, this film that was, was That was ironic, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm just not interested enough to watch it. I don't, whatever. Here's Verratt on Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Captain Marvel. Uh, God, how, where do we begin? Uh, it, it's the it's last kind of tie-in before... We get to the end game, as they call uh, it, okay. you know, you know, whatever in the Avengers and, and things. So, <laughs> so she's called Captain Marvel, and we're all just accepting that. It's like going to the, the movies to see, like, you know, John Disney saves the world. Like, yeah, well, it, remember it, Captain it, Nintendo in the eighties? <laughs> it's like we've we've cycled back to eighties level of merchandise, corporate-driven yeah, that, that characters. And it, it, it's and it is the kind of uh, sad and destructive because the American military has co-opted Captain Marvel as a symbol of, you know, strength in the U.S. military and its very militarization, you know, uh, agenda, except the film is very anti-war. So, uh, so it's the, the kind of uh, threats that play off each other. It's very interesting because all the merchandise, all the kind of uh, corporate marketing around it is very pro-military, you know. It's right. Go Captain Marvel, smash these people. Very Michael Bay. Yeah, very Michael Bay, except the film is not that. The film so, is actually a very anti-war. What is the film? What is it's the It's directed film? by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who made Half Nelson. Which, that's the only <laughs> thing by them I saw. So this seems like a yeah. massive change of pace. Well, you, is it well directed? It, it, it is, and it's not. It's still turning an origin story, and you know, it's not as good as Wonder Woman. So I mean, <laughs> that's that's the benchmark we have in terms of female-led superhero movies because there's only been one. So it's still not as good as that. Um, but also it. Sort of tells you the most interesting part about this film is how Nick Fury, aka Samuel L. Jackson, aka the one who you know said the f bomb at the Oscars, got the eye patch. You know the biggest mystery in the Marvel universe is solved in this movie. Why is it that whenever there's an interesting character detail that makes someone cool and mysterious, there's a film that comes along that like a solo or whatever yeah. that tries to explain it all away? Pretty much, and the biggest, the best, most uh, interesting character development or dynamic is between Nick Fury and a cat. Right. That so th- says the most about this film. I can uh, sort of give away because uh, Brie Larson is amazing. Uh, a lot of this film is resting upon. 80s, 90s nostalgia. It's a lot of that kind of music. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Wearing. This is set in the 90s, right? Early yeah, 90s. Yeah. Does so, that actually have any bearing on the plot? Yeah, because she's she's kind of an alien, uh, and you know she's landing up on Earth, so you know she's discovering 90s nostalgia. So it's a, once again very Guardians of the Galaxy kind of ploy to right. use a lot of the nostalgia, mind that stuff. It's been five years since Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. You know, the 80s kids are switching over to becoming the 90s, 90s kids, kids, who are yeah. the biggest. So the Marvel template is like of... pretty, like you can just you know. You just know it, unfortunately. Any interesting characters or plot threads, or is this just completely the, the, like, the, same These two are right. I mean, Nick Fury and the cat are the two most interesting things about this film. Uh, is Captain Marvel Jude a Law cool is there hero? as well. Uh, Jude Law is a mentor figure for Captain Marvel. Just like in Vox Lux. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, Jude Law is playing Jude Law again, actually. That's, that's yep. the same. He's playing himself. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's that. And, you know, there's some interesting things about how Captain Marvel... Really, a very kind of you know blaster things or fists and whatever. Is that interesting? Well, it's there's less CGI f- 
you know, third act fighting. If that, oh, okay. So they, there's not like a giant fight against... Yeah, like, actually, this is not a fight-intensive movie. That's actually surprising. Which a lot of people hated because they were expecting more like kick butt, women should kick butt kind of thing. And this is not that kind of movie. But we, we get... Well, we there get are some the, action sequences, but they're not that interesting. That's one of the few things that makes me in any way Going curious to see it. this. I'm so sick of the CGI overload in the third act of every Marvel film. It is, it's still there, but it's it's uh, definitely less than... And this is not an f- action-intensive movie. Fair enough, It's then. more like a dialogue and like, you know, um, setting the context kind of movie. Which kind of people... Which kind of threw off people because, you know, it's the last movie before Endgame, which is supposed to tie everything together. So people were expecting more like, you know, action and like, how will things get resolved? But it's nothing about that. You can actually skip this movie and you'll still be like, okay... It won't all, matter too all, much. All all it sets up is there's a superhuman character, look, no, look, which they, is as powerful as Thor. Marvel is smart. Added into the actual. So now there's another thing. strong one. Yeah, basically. it's like how Doctor Strange. All you need to do is he does the cool trippy moves. Like you don't need to watch the first Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. but uh, like if I were to give this film credit, Brie Larson does carry off the role pretty well. I mean, cool. she's she's fantastic in a very limited scope that she's been given. Yeah, she's expected to not emote and look confused a lot, and she does it very well. And, you know, you still kind of get why she's being confused because she's doing the fish out of water thing and it gets repetitive after a while, but still it's good. All right. So Captain Marvel, go yeah. see it, I guess. Two and a half. Yeah, you know, depending okay, on how so, how you turn. So I guess don't go see it. Um, <laughs> see it or, man, or I, I need to retire this just overly cynical persona, <laughs> right? It's like you, when you're reviewing films and you, you just have to get, go, like, go talk about Marvel movies. Go see it for and, Nick Fury and the cat. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. Everybody Knows is the new film from Asghar Fahadi. It's about a family reunion that come, uh, when a wedding happens that leads to um, a daughter getting kidnapped and the family all turning on each other. It's set in Spain, unlike uh, Fahadi's <laughs> other films, except for The Past, yeah. which was set in France. But it's not in Spanish. Dun, dun, dun. Everybody Knows? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, wait, wait, it is in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. A bit. It's yeah. in Spanish. Everybody anyway, knows that. Everybody knows. Um, so, yeah. Asghar Fahadi is um, a very solid filmmaker, I think. But he's getting to the point that he's repeating a lot of his tropes in every film. Um, and this is actually probably the least interesting of his narratives that I've seen in a while. I really liked um, The Salesman without loving it. and yeah. But already there, you could see... Uh, the plot mechanics starting to yeah, get creaky. Yeah. It's always the same kind of Chekhovian twists, and it- yeah, a small, small kind of family secret comes out, which like snowballs into a bigger, thing yeah. and bigger revelations. That's right. But the problem here for me is the revelations are so predictable and so been there, done that for these kinds of family t- dynamic type films. Also, like they're not that life changing. Like you know, it's no. not that. It's not that big a revelation. It's just like, oh, okay, then There's, that happened. The biggest revelation is a, is a fairly big one, but it's one that you've seen in so many films of this type before. Yeah. And um, in the better narratives he's done, like about Ellie or a separation, um, you really feel the pain of characters within their social context having to deal with culturally shocking bombs. And I wonder if Fahadi having less familiarity with a European social context means that he's not able to create, you know, that kind of narrative here. This is far more universal in the way that it's pitched. It's less about um, culturally specific things. But even for me, without that much uh, knowledge on Iranian culture, the 
you can feel the tension of the cultural specificities uh, the wounds that are being opened up in some of his previous films and I didn't really so much feel it here um, the other problem for me is that this feels really um, and this has always been a little bit of a weakness for him but particularly this film feels incredibly plot driven to the extent that I don't feel much of the humanity of these characters they're all incredible actors um, casting's yeah. great and Penelope Cruz gives it her her all with you know, she does. She can cry like no other. That's I mean, exactly she's right. She's a really good crier. I mean, I'm, 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 that's weird, but like she is. She is. She's crying constantly in this film, and she makes it. Like, she sells really it. believable. Like because like there's different types of crying, and I just couldn't understand the nuances yeah. of like crying until I was like, oh my god, she's crying, but like this is a different kind of cry. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. She <laughs> she gives you all the different flavors of Penelope Cruz flying, and Hevia Bardem does a lot of great exhaustion and um, inner pain, but the script doesn't give him much to work no. with. He no, he does a good he he does he's a nice the, brooding protagonist. That's right. That's about it. He does the best with what he's been given, which is not that much. Um, and I think for this kind of thing to to really work, you have to be in there within the characters' lives. I think part of the problem is that this is so stacked with incidents that rather than just letting the fullness of the revelations play out, yeah. it's like. A big fight about this, then a big and fight about this other thing. And like, are, I don't, I can't care about all of that. Yeah, yeah, because like, apart from Belinda Cruz and Javier Bardem, the rest of the family and the cast, they're not given that much to do. Actually. No, they're not. Um, and the few other characters that end up having something to do with the climax, the turn that the film goes to is so predictable. And again, like the House that Jack built, this is a really long film. It's two hours and fifteen minutes, and it could easily have been eighty or ninety minutes. Yeah. You do, like, it's sort of the school of thinking that more yelling equals higher drama. Um, is there anything else we want to say about... No, I think everybody knows. I, yeah. <laughs> I will say that there is something nice about um, the Iranian director Fahadi filming Spain here because there's true. some beautiful travelogue photography. He really enjoys clearly following motorbikes and cars and, yeah. and tractors around around the countryside and gives you some... Great sweeping and yeah, shots, it's, it's, and he's beautiful it's, sunlight. Not, you know, not the kind, really not the kind about... of Spain that you usually see in. Like, no, that's you know, right. It's, films, yeah. it's really like someone coming in with fresh eyes yeah. and giving you something different. So I loved that about the film. Um, it looks great. I just think, I think Fahadi will do something good again. He's he, yeah, but Iranian directors kind of find their footing pretty quickly. Yeah, this this is one of his lesser efforts. It's still a solid adult drama film in the time when we don't have too many of those in cinemas. Um, so that's Everybody Knows, which is in cinemas now. Lastly, for the last four or five minutes of the program, we'll have Virat on Hotel Mumbai. Oh, my God. Ugh. Like it, it was really difficult for me to actually sit through this film, not only because uh, you know it's going through terror attacks that happened in India a long time ago, but also because of what's happened in the Australian-New Zealand context quite recently. And uh, it was just kind of exacerbated the question of why do we need this film you know it's why why do we need to recreate yeah this? why now yeah why now or just is it or just, just like why in general? greengrass like let's recreate the horror yeah it, it, or, it's, it's trying to go for that idea that you know there is some kind of humanity in you know horrible situations you know humanity kind of pulls together and comes together and unlikely people from different cultures can find some common ground in horrible situations uh except it's not about that uh, it, it's mostly trying to recreate and it's set up as a stylized thriller, which is kind of the problem. It thinks it's more profound than it is. It's actually not. Uh, the problem this movie has is that it just, 
a Vox Lux actually, once again, is a good kind of point of this. It's commercializing and mining trauma for, you know, right. uh, white people's uh, tears. Yeah. It's, it's just that. It's literally that. It's just, here is an event and we're going to make some money off Unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, uh, Netflix uh, is Something not going to sell. Uh, yeah, Netflix is not going to actually sell this in India because they're in a legal battle, and thankfully not. It's not going to release in India at what's, all. What's the battle of them? Uh, it's about uh, releasing territories, and they're actually you know on shaky ground in that. So Netflix said, um, "We're not going to do it," which is a good thing because there are a lot of factual inaccuracies. Even though this film is supposed to be a fictional retelling, right. uh, there's such basic um, inaccuracies and incorrectness in how the events of unfolded that you know suddenly you're like there are also terrorists uh, singing a song uh you know while they're waiting in the hostages and then suddenly i was just like what kind of a movie am i watching like what is what do you expect me to feel am i you know am i you know am i supposed to be horrified am i you know and it's not going for any kind of profound meaning of what these people mean or why this event happened and in the end you kind of feel very cheap and especially as someone who grew up in india and you know very kind of uh, personally attached to these events uh, often when these sort of things happen, you kind of want to, even though it's supposed to be somewhat of a homage to survivors, it just feels uh, kind of annoying. Uh, but yeah. Is this film largely just about the white character's perspective? It is. It's basically the, the, the guests in the film who are basically foreign and white. It's from their perspective and the staff are just there in service of the guests. So Dave Fatel, even though he's playing one of the major protagonists, is just there to rescue white people. So it's just another, as you yeah. say, sort of white people tear movies. Yeah. Like why? Why do the white characters have to be the the protagonists well, of this story? Exactly. Army Hammer, who's one of the protagonists, who's one of the heroes, and the one character who doesn't survive. He didn't Spoilers! Need to be in this movie. Well, you know, he's he's cute and handsome, but he dies. Boo hoo! But like, he had no point in this movie. You know, it's it's not about white people, but it's still. But in, they've made it about white. Yeah, people? exactly. In in a movie set in India. Right. So it's don't go watch this so movie. It's bad. Don't go see. Hotel Mumbai. For those keeping score, maybe go see House the Jack Built. Maybe go see Everybody Knows. Definitely don't see Hotel Mumbai. We'll be back next week. Have a good night, everyone. Enjoy movies. Maybe watch some good ones. Good night. <laughs>